Ephesians chapter 6 will be in verses 10 down to verse 24. These are the words of the Apostle Paul speaking to the, the church in Ephesus. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand Stand firm then and the, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that wherever, I, whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Tychicus, I think that's how you pronounce it. The dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know him, know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to you, brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God, the father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Um, if you were to jump on a plane and go to an amber country, and if it was on the continent of West Africa or Latin America or Asia, if you went to those sort of parts of the world, this uh, topic we're looking at this morning would be far more familiar than in the Western world. And I don't think that is helpful or right. This idea of spiritual warfare, this idea of conflict against forces that you cannot see, smell, taste or touch is something that in the Western world we, we kind of snigger at. We either are obsessed by it or either we completely ignore it. And as C.S. Lewis said, they're both two equal and opposite dangers. If you remove the language of uh, spiritual warfare and of uh, evil in the world, then you have some great issues when you come to atrocities such as the two towns, 9-11, um, when events like that happen in the world or whether uh, horrible events happen in your own home life or in uh, the newspaper that you read about or you see on the TV screens or on the internet, there are sometimes our vocabulary are not strong enough or big enough unless we incorporate the word evil into our vocabulary. In the Western world, we think that everything can be solved by understanding and education. Racism is the latest hot topic. And we say we just need to educate the next generation and uh, erase certain parts of our history, then all will be well in the future. It's not an issue of the human heart. Social breakdown, you just need to raise your kids right, then all will be well. We can figure it out, says our hearts and minds in the West. 
We know what the issues are and we know what we can do to solve them. All we can see in the world and taste and touch and sense, that's all there is in existence in the created order. We can figure it out. We can fix it. We sound like Bob the Builder. The Bible says that's not all that there is in the world. There is an evil dimension that's related to the spiritual realm and there are forces against you. And until you understand that there is a depth of evil in the world, until you can see that there are forces beyond our control and beyond our sight that exist, you will not understand the depth of the human condition. You will not be able to understand what's wrong with the human heart. If you don't acknowledge the, uh, the reality of evil spiritual forces, then you will not be able to articulate when certain things happen in your lives and in the world as a whole. We have a problem in the West, but we can't articulate evil. But the Bible does not have that problem. The Bible says and states with confidence about the reality that there is in the world, but also in the spiritual realm, that God has authority over all things. But there is a devil who would do you harm. There are spiritual forces that we battle against that are real and purposeful and determined. They do not occur by accident. They occurred because of the reality of free will in the spiritual realm, but also in the human realm. So angels and demons, angels and humans have free will. And God is still in sovereign control over all things. So what's this passage? What does the Apostle Paul want us to see and grasp as he wraps up this super book? It's like a, a systematic theology of life, but it's called the book of Ephesians. He wants to say, hey, you're in a battle. You need to understand the armor that you need to wear and you need to have your eyes fixed on our captain if you're a Christian. Okay, so it's a, a battle, it's armory that we need to put on ourselves and it's a captain that we need to focus upon. Here's number one, really simple, verse 11. The fight that we're in is listed here and Paul says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. This word schemes is a, a word for strategies. That means that the devil who exists, Satan, these two names that he has, the accuser who's also the liar, he has strategies. He has strategies and his aim is to do you harm, to take you out of the game if you're a Christian, to sow lies into your heart to defeat you. He's not fooling around. He's in the boxing ring and he wants to take you down. And he'll do whatever he can to do so. In the West, we think, ah, we know if there is such a thing of the, as the devil, if there is such a person, a spiritual person that will do you harm, we know when he's involved in a person's life because their head spins and they spew out green. That's not an understanding of the Bible. That's Hollywood. And it's pretty nonsense at that. The devil is someone who sows lies into your heart. Somebody wants to deceive and control you. And so often that's not with the vomit spewing out of your gut or your mouth. It's lies being sown in your heart that you're tempted to believe. And it turns you away from God who's good and kind and purposeful and just. And the devil wants to say that he's all, he's none of those things. And he does that in two ways. These lies that he sows, this is so important. So please key into this chart that's going to appear. Two ways that Satan can lie to you. The lie of temptation and the lie of accusation. Temptation says, here's the lie of temptation that the devil can sow into your heart. You've got too high a view of yourself. 
And you always do things that you shouldn't do. Accusation says, you have too low a view of yourself. I just think you should hate yourself, says the devil. Imagine, how can a Christian do that and call themselves a Christian? Both are opposite ways of doing the same thing. One is you have too high a view of yourself, so you can do whatever you want. No one will find out. No one will catch you out. No one will ever look in that place in your life. Accusation, you have too low a view of yourself. How dare you do that? Look at how low you are. You're a worm. If someone knew where you slept last night, what you looked at this week, they'd run a mile. In temptation, Satan is determined to hide God's holiness from you. And he turns up the love volume. God is a God of love. You can do whatever you want, and God will always forgive you. In accusation, he turns um, up God's love, uh, rather his holiness, and down on his love. God is there to accuse you, and he'll never forgive you. See the polar opposites? See the way it works? It's bait and switch. If he doesn't get you on one way, he gets you on the other. Here's the third one. Temptation. All you see is short-term pleasures. It will be so good if you do that, if you go there. And you can't see the misery that will be caused in your own life or in the life of others if you do that thing or think that thought or go to that place. He turns up the short-term pleasure and diminishes the long-term pain. And an accusation, finally... The heart of accusation is that Satan causes you to look more at your own sin than at your saviour. How could you have done that? Look at the evidence for the accused. And Jesus' saviour is nowhere in our view. These are the lies that Satan sows into your heart. Now, I used to think that uh, old school warfare was something like Zulu where you'd say, right, we're going to fight you guys and we're going to call you to a, a field in the desert and we're aligned here and our opponent's going to align there. Or it's like the opening scene from Gladiator that actually was filmed in Farnham in Surrey. Sorry to burst a bubble there. But it's the, the Roman garrison on one side and it's the, the forces of Germany on the other and you fight to the death. But you get all your troops set out like a stratego as a kid and then you fight to the death. So warfare is out there, it's ordered, it's time bonded. You get all your resources together and the one with the most people standing at the end wins. In modern warfare, it's got far more sophisticated. So now it's drones and laser guided technology. People don't die. You just have collateral damage. You change your language and it becomes more understandable in the modern sensitivity. Look at verse 12. When it comes to spiritual warfare, this is what Paul wants us to hear. You fight not against flesh and blood but against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Thomas Brooks has helped me more than anyone else. He wrote, this guy wrote 1,200 pages. He's an old Puritan chap with a great long sort of flowing hair. He wrote uh, 1,200 pages on this issue and this chapter of spiritual warfare. And he puts it in one sentence. It's on the screen. This is the heart of spiritual warfare. Satan doesn't leave fang marks on your flesh. He leaves lies in your heart. So that means if he's right, which I think he is, the battlefield is not in Farnham or in uh, Italy or in uh, Normandy in northern France. It's in your heart. And it's every single day. Paul is saying you need to put on the armor of God or you will fall. You need to uh, guard not against something that you can see, but someone that you can't see. 
So there are little battles happening, not in a battlefield out there, but in your mind and in your heart in here. Where lies are heard through ear gates, says John Bunyan, and they come into your heart. And it's whose word will stand fast. Will you believe the promises of God or will you doubt his character? You see, the devil is so uncreative. He can't create. He can only destroy. And he's very repetitive. So it's just the same lies that happened to our first parents in the Garden of Eden. Did God really? Is God really? God is not good. He's not kind. He doesn't know what's best for you. And he says the same lies today. So you can have uh, the battle of fear, the battle of anxiety, the battle of worry, the battle of anger. Really everyday language, isn't it? And it's something that I fight with and battle with in my heart. You don't deserve to have that said to you. You deserve to, my fist is even ready. You deserve to get even. And so you strike back, hopefully not with your fist, but with your tongue. Perhaps with slander, perhaps with gossip, perhaps with unkind or harsh words. Don't get back, get even. You know how it goes. That's exactly the lies that the devil wants you to hear. Get even, or rather, will you entrust yourself to God? Fear. God has not got his best intention for you. You know what's best for your life. And so fear versus trusting God's promises. And Paul says, verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Actually, it says it's in past tense, having been buckled. So this is something that God by his spirit has already done. You're already prepared for battle. It's past action and event. When you're in spiritual battle, when you're in a physical battle, you don't think, oh, rats, where's my sword gone? You don't say, hey, where's my shield? If you're going into battle, you get prepared. And Paul is saying you're in spiritual battle, so you need to get your armor on every day because you're in the battle of every moment. And you need to guard your heart above all things. It's guerrilla warfare. It's not ordered, Custer in the last stand. It's guerrilla warfare every day for your heart and your eternal destiny. So Paul's not messing around. He's saying this is life, spiritual life, and it's spiritual death. Skirmishes in your mind, on your internet browser, in your marriage, in your relationships, at your workplaces, on the streets in which you live, in the homes in which you lay your head. So Paul's saying you've got to get armoured because this is real. So point number two, he says, this is the armour. Take the helmet of salvation. Take the breastplate of righteousness. <clears throat> Take the shoes of the gospel of peace. Now, Paul is writing to Christians. He knows that they're Christians. He knows that they're not strange to the things of God. They already have the righteousness of Christ. They already have an understanding of salvation. They already have a, a secure hope in the future. And yet here's what Paul is saying in this imagery. And it's not just the, the property of a good children's talk. Paul is saying this. I want you to take what is true of you by the spirit of God. And I want you to put it on every single day as if it were armor. And it's not a new thought that Paul's kind of putting on the end of his letter. So in uh, chapter 1, verse 18, he prays for them. Do you remember? We saw this on a Tuesday night at prayer meeting. I want the eyes of your heart to be opened up, to see and to know the power of God in your life. Then he says, chapter 3, verse 17 to 19, 
I want you to understand and to dwell richly in the person of Jesus Christ. And then he says, not as a bolt on, but third time through the letter, I want nothing more for you than for you to understand the goodness of God in the gospel more richly and deeply. And I want you to put on that truth as if it were armor. And I want you to do it every day. Holy Spirit, would you open their eyes, says Paul, because the only way you can do this is through prayer. I want you to take what is uh, objectively true of you, and I want you to feel it subjectively. I want you to take what's externally true of you and for you to know it in your heart internally. I don't just want you to know Christ's love so you can write it down and describe it. I want you to feel it, to sense it, to enjoy it. I want you to stay in it. It needs to be the heartbeat of your very existence. I want Jesus' love to be a joy to you. I want you to know that he's for you. I want you to know that he's provided every resource in Christ. Chapter one, you're in him, you're in him, you're in him for you to stand firm. So Satan's got nothing to offer you at all that's good and healthy. He wants to destroy you, he wants to tempt you, he wants to accuse you. So he's saying to the church in Ephesus, I know that you're saved. I know that you know the truth, but you need to imbibe this every day. I want you to live when you're accused as if you're someone who is secure in Christ because you are. I want you to uh, live not as someone who is prone to temptation, but someone who knows that they are accepted and loved, that they've been adopted in God's forever family by the grace of Christ. That's who I want you to be. When you're criticized, when you uh, work and tempted to overwork, like at the start of chapter six, when you're tempted to work so hard because you want approval in your life, I want you to live as someone who is approved because you're a chosen, adopted, forgiven child of God. And you've got to know who you are. So put the armor on, says the Apostle Paul. Put the privileges of Christ on every day. And I want you to guard your heart. What does that look like? I think you can uh, chop these up into three groups, these, uh, this armor. Look at verse 14. I think it's uh, the foundation of all of them. Actually, verse 14, put on the belt of truth. This may not actually be a belt, sorry to destroy children's talks. It may be more like a garment, like the undergarments, perhaps. But it's the, the belt of truth, something that everything else sits upon. Right? I think that's what Paul's getting at. It talks about righteousness. It talks about peace. It talks about these various things that are privileges. And I think it's Paul's way of saying what he does in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And in Ephesians, he just paints a picture with that and says, let's call it armor. I don't want you to put that armor on every single day. So verse 14 and 15, he's talking about a breastplate of righteousness and the shoes of the gospel of peace. So the breastplate, you can't do anything without the breastplate. If you get a, an arrow in your leg, Sorry if it's a bit gory, but uh, it could be pulled out or your leg might get chopped off, extra gory. And, um, but if you've got an arrow in your heart, you're out, you're dead. The most important piece of armor for your heart, spiritually speaking, is the breastplate of righteousness to know who you are in Christ. Because it's a new status and a new standing. You might be asked by your captain to, to move quickly. So you need the shoes of the gospel of peace. You need to be ready to, to hike over certain or unknown terrain. But if you took an arrow to your heart, you're out, you're dead. 
no more coins in the machine, no more second chances on the Xbox or the PS4 or 5 or whatever number we're up to. Look at the second group, verse 16 and 17, the helmet and the shield. So you can quench the flaming arrows of the evil one, is what it means. The thoughts of your heart lead to the feelings of your heart, which then lead to the actions of your will. So it's mind and thoughts, your volition and your will. So if you don't know who you are in Christ, that you're approved and accepted and forgiven and ransomed and redeemed and heading for a certain eternal brilliant future, you will seek that in the here and now. And you will believe the eyes and the lies of the devil that you'll be able to get it now through your own efforts. Your feelings control your thoughts, which then control your actions. So you'll be more prone to temptation. You'll listen to the words of accusation if you forget who you are in Christ. When you do something that you know is wrong, that you know is unhelpful, that you know is ungodly, the more often you do it, the easier it is to repeat. And so Paul says, verse 14, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Remind yourself of who you are in Christ. The gospel of peace, remind yourself of the joy that you have in the gospel, which is all about the person of Jesus Christ. Verse 17, it's probably about assurance, I think. The helmet of salvation, knowing the truth of God about who you are in Christ. So it's all different ways of saying the same thing. You need to live in the gospel. You need to know the gospel. You need to steep your spirit in the gospel. The belt of truth is the foundation, I think but you need to put the word of God to dwell richly in your heart. Do you know how to do that? Do you know how to uh, steep yourself in the gospel as you, you listen to the Bible read, perhaps on a commute? Perhaps you're an early morning person, won't look at anyone in case they're not. Perhaps you're an evening person. However you do it, morning, lunchtime, evening, do you know have you got the skills? Do you know the right people to ask? By the Spirit of God to open up this book and read the gospel. You're not just reading a book, Paul is saying. You are protecting your heart as you read the gospel. As you listen to this book, has it got dust on it? Why not get it out? If you've got dust on your Bible or dust on your audio version of the Bible or dust on the screen of your tablet, however you read the Bible with so many resources, you pray to the Spirit of God, say, open my eyes, that I would see Jesus. And you enjoy the gospel and you equip yourself as you put on the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and the shoes of peace. As you take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and you pray in the truth of the gospel and you equip yourself for the battle. Do you know how to do that? I'd love to read the Bible with you. If you'd like to read the Bible with me, let's get together. Do you know how to memorize one sentence from the Bible and just chew it over? You're someone who likes to doodle. So you write one word and you, you just doodle it. You helpfully invite yourself with the truth of the gospel. You're not just doing art. You're taking the truth and you're getting it into your heart. That spiritual friendship. We've been so isolated for so long, haven't we? But you have spiritual friends that you can WhatsApp, 
that you can text, that you can, here's an idea, you can meet up with physically, in person, and you can encourage one another. Can you be that person for someone else, I wonder? Can you do that individually? Can you do that one-to-one? Can you do that corporately? Zoom is so powerful. What a blessing it's been to us as a church family. We've got a series of prayer meetings throughout all of August. You could join from wherever you are as long as you want to. You could be there. It was such a blessing last Tuesday evening. The Spirit of God helped us to pray. Why not join us through the month of August? It's all about putting the armour on and protecting your heart and your mind. Creating dispositions where you put yourself in good places to make good habits by bringing your heart and your mind under the authority of the word of God. And you simply pray, Holy Spirit, please show Christ as beautiful and lovely to me. And then you open up the book. It's the battle we're in. It's the armor we need to put on every single day to create these habits. But if we don't look at our captain to close, it's all about us. And Paul wants us to see it's certainly not. Look at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. It's not your armor and it's not your strength. Let's take a step back. And think about the whole of the Bible when it comes to spiritual warfare. In the Old Testament, God is described as the divine warrior. He is Israel's champion. He liberates them wonderfully from the tyranny of Egypt under the heel of Pharaoh, from the slavery and bondage that they were experiencing. And Miriam, who's Moses' sister, sings this great song. Dave quoted from it. In Exodus 14, they're liberated through the Red Sea. In Exodus 15, you read the song. God is a divine warrior, says Miriam. He fights against evil and injustice. He's liberated us and he's won the great battle of the Red Sea. So Miriam and Moses, they put this song together and they say, God is our divine warrior. He's the champion of Israel's hosts. But as their history goes on throughout the Old Testament, we realize that God is not a tribal deity. He's not someone who turns a blind eye to sin of his people. He punishes evil and wrongdoing and sin and disobedience wherever it's found because he's holy and just. And so the divine warrior who defeats Israel's foe turns his attention to his own people for the sake of purity. Israel becomes corrupt. There's uh, oppression and injustice. And so God wants to rid his people. And so he goes to war, as it were, in his own people against injustice and evil and sin. So you get to the end of the Old Testament and the prophets are longing for this divine warrior to appear, appear in person, someone who would make every wrong right, someone who would rid the world of evil, someone who would correct and get rid of the evil in our own hearts, the human condition that the Bible calls sin. Wouldn't it be great if this divine warrior, the son of man person that Daniel 7 speaks of, would would just rid the world of all wrong and and rid us of our new foes the romans as he did to the egyptians of old and daniel 7 looks forward to the son of man and isaiah 57 speaks of someone who would come 59 rather the righteousness as a breastplate would be on their stomach the helmet of salvation would be on their head and they would wear the garments ready for battle centuries before jesus came and then jesus came jesus came the victorious son of man the disciples are saying wow 
But Jesus, the champion of the heavenly hosts, doesn't come with a sword in his hand, but his hands are healing hands. He doesn't raise an army to defeat the Romans. He wanders around teaching and loving and nurturing, discipling people. And the climax of his life, just before the cross, when, when Peter gets out his sword and strikes off a man's ear, Jesus says, put it away. That's not what I came to do. And the disciples are saying, what kind of sort of divine warrior are you? We thought you would have been justice and rid us of our foes. And the answer the gospel says is, this is the warrior that we need. He's not the warrior we thought was going to come, but he's the only kind we need. He's the only one who would come. And if he rid us of all injustice, that means he would do away with us. How would he deal with the problem of injustice and evil and give us a new heart? This is how, by coming not with a sword in his hands, but he came with nails ultimately in his hands. He didn't come with the, the sword to bring the sword of God's judgments against evil and wrongdoing. He came to bear the sword of God's judgment on his own self. It fell on him. And that's why we've got a great privilege this morning of coming around the Lord's table. Jesus overcame the ultimate evil with good. He overcame sin and death by offering his death-giving life. And so when you look at this picture, what is Ephesians all about? I think the whole Bible, but Ephesians especially, describes the church as a lifeboat. The church is not about people who have got everything together. We are a hospital pointing to the great physician. We are a lifeboat pointing to our only captain. There's only safety to be found in him. There's only rescue for lost people to be found in the message that the church takes out with our splutteringness, with our brokenness, with our messy lives. But it's the hope for the lost world. But the devil doesn't want us to do the work that God has called us to. So the only way for us to work for King Jesus is to stand in his strength and to go out in all the world with a message of brokenness, but life-giving power. And so Paul ends the book by saying, verse 10 and 11 again, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. We have all we need in King Jesus. It's a spiritual battle and we have all we need in the armor of Jesus to arm ourselves with the gospel every day and to go out with a message of hope into a lost world.